0: Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors with your host True Kirby. Hey,
1: this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm
0: Travis Denning.
1: Hey, I'm
2: Aaron Lewis. Hey,
0: it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors.
3: It's Wyoming, Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors, and as always, we reach out to Wyoming Game and Fish Department's Janet Millick to get us information that we feel is very important and integral to. What anglers and hunters and outdoor folks need to know about Wyoming? And, Janet, one that I think a lot of people are itching to do is get out fishing. We've had an odd year. The ice isn't as good as it should be this time of year There's open water in some places. So anglers that aren't getting that opportunity are chomping at the bit.
4: That's right. And, you know, it's been such a crazy year, just like you were talking about. We're sitting here watching it snow now. Um, But last week we were, you know, loving 60-degree temperatures and really saw a few drift boats going by the office. Uh, So we do know that there are quite a few people that are out and enjoying it. But one of the things that I think is super interesting, Drew, is – Um, You know, when I first started with Game and Fish years and years and years ago, I always kind of had this perception that there would be busy times and there would be not busy times, right? That wildlife guys would be um, busy during the hunting season and fisheries folks would be busy during the the fishing season and that maybe there would be a little bit of downtime in between. And it has become clear and more and more as um, we continue to take on more and more work uh, that there is no downtime for anyone anymore. So even as we're watching the snow fly, our fish guys are super busy, whether they're out doing research, doing some scientific surveys, or whether they're in the office crunching numbers, whether they're making a plan for what's to come. Like year round now, we are thinking about what people are going to want to be doing for fishing, when and where.
3: So one of the the things that I mentioned with ice fishing being so different um, we've got a lot of, of opportunity for fishing in this area, whether it be the river, which you could fish that all through the winter or summer or, you know, the fall. But then a lot of these, uh, the reservoirs that we have around this general area of Casper, I mean, there are some, some big fisheries and there's a lot of these reservoirs that takes a lot of work to maintain them and to get, you know, Things going for the the next season and when I say season I mean weather season because <laughs> you know who knows yeah. what it's going to be and when it's going to be but uh, these guys really are working on the next season before it even gets here.
4: Oh, and in fact, it's years and years out. Um, it, it's kind of interesting to think. And we have Jeff and Matt here today to talk to us a little bit about some of the planning that goes into these fisheries. And I don't think that people necessarily recognize how complex it is. We, we often get these folks that think, um, you know, that, oh, gosh, if I just put um, this particular species or kind of fish into this water, it's going to grow, it's going to be great. And in a year, I'm going to have the best cutthroat trout fishery in the world. But in fact, that that is not what happens. And there is a lot of science that goes into it. And so wild diversity is absolutely a goal that Game and Fish does strive for for anglers in the sense of we do want to provide cool water fisheries, cold water fisheries, and warm water fisheries, all very accessible to anglers across the state. You know, the conditions, the habitat, all have to be right for those biologists to be able to manage the waters in those, those ways. And so whether you are ice fishing or whether you're heading out on your drift boat, these guys are here to talk to you about what goes into it
3: and why. So let's just start, Jeff. What does go into maintaining these fisheries? I mean, we we start early in the year, but how do you really think about what you're going to do on some of these uh, opportunities?
5: Yeah, so it would all depend on the type of water that you're considering. Some of the smaller ponds, they're, they're fairly easy. It's, it's kind of a, if there's water, you can try mostly around here to be trout. But what gets complex is whenever you have larger bodies of water and you're trying to balance multiple species and also different kind of hydrological or water quality issues as well. Um, So a good example of a more complex one around here that has been very good was Goldeneye Reservoir. In a place like that, uh, for years, the water was nice and clean and somewhat salty, and it actually grew really nice trout. And it became kind of regionally known for that. And over the many past decades, they've tried a number of different species in those, uh, in GoldenEye, namely. And you kind of have a a record of the past of what did and didn't work. So you can go back to those when you're considering what to plan for in the future, what worked 20, 30 years ago, what maybe has come with new species and hatchery uh, availability that you can try in the future. And then you have to come up with a programmatic sampling that you can actually keep tabs on those types of species and the types of sampling that you use changes by species. You know, a bass or a crappie does not get caught just as well in the same gill nets that the trout and walleye get caught in. So it kind of comes down to balancing how you sample each place is different, what you sample, and then what you prescribe for species changes. And it's all a function of water quality, salinity, turbidity, depth, depth through the winter, uh, duration of ice cover, a number of different things that goes into that.
3: So all year, the obvious seasons are different. Are you collecting a different type of of data in the different seasons that we have?
5: Yeah. So in the spring, at most of our lakes we will go out and we'll sample for trout. We use floating gill nets because come ice off, most of the trout focus on feeding and regaining any lost weight from the kind of like the doldrums of winter where there's not a lot of of bait and zooplankton swimming around. So they'll swim around the shorelines and so we can target those by setting strategically floating gillnets that angle off of shore. But in the fall, when we want to sample for say walleye, we have to set sinking gillnets in about 20 to 40 feet of water. And we also do those kind of near shore because we know from using tracking studies from other places and past experience that while I do something called a diurnal movement, where they go deeper during the day and at night they come into the shallows to feed. So if you can set nets kind of in the transition zone between the two, you have a good chance of catching moving fish.
3: So Jeff, the data that you're collecting, does that just help maintain weight you have a golden eye or is that going to better it in the future?
5: So the information that we gain on any kind of year to year basis is actually kind of just one piece of a larger set of information that we have been collecting for years and years in some of these locations. So, yes, we use it to kind of guide what's going on in the future. If we notice, say, some kind of really sudden downturn, we know that maybe something has pretty quickly or abruptly changed about the habitat. But ultimately you're you're just contributing at this point to long-term management of these locations and seeing whether or not maybe other species could go in or uh, instead of just maintaining it as it is, you can actually say if the body condition of fish, which is a measure of how healthy or plump they are, if that goes up or if it stays really high, maybe we could raise the number of fish that go in because clearly they're not having trouble eating. Um, and if we do that, maybe we can look at stocking different species of, you know, for example, in golden uh, trout, we've we've gone from historically only stalking rainbow trout. Then sometime about five or six years ago, we really started to pack in a wide variety of cutthroat species, bear river cutthroat and snake river cutthroat. And in the past, many years ago, they had a whole another array of species that they found just didn't work. Uh, in that location. So we kind of know which ones from the past sampling, it informs the future. What are the advantages if you have more than, than you know,
3: just a couple of species in a body of water like that?
5: Uh, one of the biggest ones is just that it makes more fish available to people at a broader time of year. So rather than having just trout moving around the shoreline, uh, even different species of trout we have found, for example, at, at uh, Alcova, the rainbow trout tend to come into shore pretty early in the season, but Bear river cutthroat become more available in the summer months to people. And then you have uh, in Alcovo, you have walleye and they become more available to people early in the spring and later in the fall. So by having a diversity of species, you can cover the gamut of angling interest and angler availability from the earliest part of the year all the way until basically the end.
3: Wow, it's so wild how much actually goes into maintaining all the fisheries around Wyoming. So hang on just a minute. We're back with Wyoming Game and Fish to talk more about the history and, and maintenance of keeping all these fisheries tip top on Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. It's
0: Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors.
3: Our conversation today with Game and Fish is all about how to maintain the fisheries that we have. And keep them being some of the best in the country. We have Matt, Janet, and Jeff with us today. And Jeff, how far back is there actual data that can be used to make plans for the future of the
5: fisheries? Yeah, so for, you know, some of the ponds around here, for out in the 33-mile country, we've got a lot of ponds. Those were built in like the 80s uh, and 90s. So some of those don't have records that go back terribly far, but about 20, 30 years. And then other places we have that go back 60 or 70 years Um, in terms of routine monitoring. We have an older system called a card file, which is kind of like the old library card system where they would go in and on individual note cards, they would write down when they had gone there. And some of those records go back to the 20s. Uh, So we'll use that for maybe what species had been stocked and tried. If we're you know, instead of reinventing the wheel, if we're thinking about putting a new species somewhere, we'll go back and see, like, has it ever been tried before? So, and and that's
3: in the case of the, the sauger, where it was prominent here for such a long time and then went away. So research shows that sauger should do well and is probably the reason that it was brought back?
5: Yeah, so sauger, uh, not only were they found in the river by people who worked here, but that's actually from kind of historical anecdote in journal articles from soldiers that were at the Fort Laramie back in the late 1800s. No, they didn't call yeah, them. Yeah, there
2: was even a, <clears throat> there was an archaeological dig at Fort Laramie um, at the the old historic site there where they excavated the, uh, the old, basically the dump that was the fort's dump. And uh, they found a lot of fish bones that had been discarded in in their trash there and and just by looking at the the shape and things of the bones you can often tell the species of the fish and and they you know documented that yeah the it was kind of funny the the officers had a different dump than the enlisted men and the officers were eating a lot of soger. And the enlisted men reading a lot of suckers, so
4: you know
2: it's kind of funny. But
4: not much else has changed, has it?
2: Yeah, but no. Through through old uh, scientific expeditions like the Hayden expedition that was in the 1870s, I believe. Um, a few other uh, at the time, it was the U.S. Biological Survey. I mean, we're going back uh, into the 1800s. And they all found, you know, sauger were quite widespread in the river, sturgeon, uh, shovel-nosed sturgeon, um, gold-eye, some other species that that had been extirpated uh, from the river. And there's good historical evidence that, you know, we know, yeah, 100% those fish were here and were native and were doing really well. It's, it's good information to go back and, and find.
3: So in the case of, say, sauger, are they stocked anywhere else other than, just the North Platte River, and then they trickle into Glendo? Are there other reservoirs that they are uh, stocked
5: in? No, there are a river species. And back when Fogger were here on a kind of natural term, there wouldn't have been any of these dams or reservoirs for them to have uh, inhabited. Now, they can do well somewhat. Like over in the Lander region, for example, they're native to the Wind River. And they'll make their way into Boise, And they'll use like the headwater upper ends of that. But I think, you know, one thing that kind of gets lost in people's minds in modern times is that the river that we see now that runs from, say, Gray Reef down looks vastly different than it would have back in the 1800s and early 1900s whenever those fish were here en masse and doing well. There's old descriptions of the plat that was an inch deep and a mile wide. It was times a year when it would kind of dry up to almost nothing. Um, and just have pockets of water left that were kind of deep pools but for the most part it was a natural hydrograph which means that it was subject to the flows that were given to it by rain or snow melt and come summer it would warm up and get really shallow and it was extremely braided very wide and had a multi-thread channel which just means that it has no one course or set hardened path but since the development of reservoirs and a regulated hydrograph or flow structure, and also setting the river channel in kind of like what is a riprap or a hardened base. It keeps it from wandering or meandering too much. Your listeners could even go on Google Earth. And one, one of the neat things that we've done is you can go on these satellite imagery maps and you can see old oxbows kind of out in like the Bessemer Bend government bridge country. You can see that the river used to swing, over a mile or two wide on that whole valley and it has left little oxbow lakes and little water depressions in what are very evident is old river channel
3: you know we talk about history repeating itself sometimes do you think that in the future we could be having this conversation of oh look the river has moved again or it's uh, it's flowing in a, a different path or with management and everything
5: is is it basically probably going to stay where it is in all likelihood, the river is kind of set where it's going to be. We have now um, we don't really foresee that being a thing. And if anything, there's actually kind of a nationwide trend of removing certain hydroelectric dams as they become either outdated, backfilled with sediment, or just kind of unnecessary or unusable. Really, the stability of the system actually makes it somewhat easier to manage because it becomes a little bit more predictable. When you have a natural hydrograph, every year is kind of like playing roulette. It's just a, a shot in the dark as to what you're going to get. You could get even one rain on top of snow or ice event that just causes massive flooding. We don't really see that anymore. And because we know year after year how the river is most likely going to be run or how certain reservoirs are going to be run or orchestrated, we can prescribe we work our stocking scheduling out three years in advance already it becomes a little bit just more stability actually brings a little bit of uh, ease to the idea.
3: How far in advance you said three years out you have what you're going to stock but how far prior to that are you looking in places like GoldenEye saying okay we want to put this type of fish here this year or this type of fish here?
5: Yeah so one of the things that really happened at GoldenEye that was complicated is that it kind of got to become really turbid in the summer of 2019, which just means it became really muddy. And when it was really gin clear water, the trout did exceedingly well. They, they grew very quickly. They got to pretty large ultimate sizes and we didn't really have too many problems with it. Once it got a little bit turbid, those larger fish, they take a huge energetic demand to upkeep. It's kind of, they don't just persist on little bugs. They need larger prey, sucker, minnows, um, fathead minnows, whatnot. So when that water becomes turbid and they're visual predators, and they can't see those bigger sources. A lot of those really large fish died off. After a couple of years of looking, we noticed that the trout stocks have gone down. The stocking success had gone down. So we looked at the old card file system and we found in the 1930s that there was an angling group out there when that land was all private that had leased that water right and stocked crappie into the system. And they found them that they, you know, black crappie grew up to 15 inches by the 19, late 1930s into the 1950s. And at the time it was going through a similar, it was noted that the water was similarly turbid or muddy. So we put together a plan to just, if we can't create biomass of trout in that system, we still want anglers to have a good opportunity to go out there and fish. So using that old information, we started stocking black crappie. And I've gotten a couple of reports even through this winter that fish that we stocked at about the size of a quarter are now about eight inches long. Now, there's not very many of them in there yet. It was kind of an opportunistic stocking of extras, but it is now on the regular schedule in the near future to start receiving that on a routine basis.
4: So what you're saying is GoldenEye might be coming back?
5: GoldenEye is at least coming back in terms of a cool water fishery in if it's not going to be the trout fishery it once was at this time but the thing about goldeneye as well is that it's very shallow so this winter is obviously not going to do anything to it but on a hard winter where we get deep ice a lot of snow on top of the ice and it persists for long enough to create what we call winter kill situation it's where a lack of daylight getting through the ice allows the decomposition of plants to consume all of the oxygen underneath the ice in the water and it kills the fish. If that resets GoldenEye through a die off event, we could put trout in there the very next month as soon as it opens up. And they probably do as well as they had done back in the mid 2000s.
3: So the research that you guys do all year long actually pays off because things like being uh, not as thick of an ice year could really be uh, something to help in the future of, of
5: fish. Yeah, you know, this is the kind of year that allows fish to persist in some of our smaller, shallower ponds that sometimes flirt with a risk of dying off. So the fish that we put into the 33 mile ponds north of the airport will most likely have at least a whole second season of growth under their belt um, as anglers go into the summer months and wanna go out there and try to fish for them. So rather than being six or seven inches, they could be 14 to 16 inches
4: so as you see drew like things can be really complicated there is a lot that goes into it um not only just management planning but all the natural things that that are around us when we're trying to do the science and when we're trying to think about fisheries in wyoming so i i think it's always you know something to remind listeners that we're always more than welcome to talk to them about the conditions of the fisheries around the state and if they have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out because we would love to talk to anyone at any time about what's going on.
3: As always, it's so informative, and, and I love that we have this this connection and this ability to, to talk about things like this. And Janet, Matt, and Jeff, thank you guys so much. Back in just minutes with Brian from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports.
0: It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors.
3: Join Brian and Rocky Mountain
1: Discount Sports where, well, it came and went goose season is gone brian water waterfowl season in this area is pretty much done with the exception of uh, some uh, late season snow goose hunting so what that may mean is there are guys
3: that uh, were blaming the missing on their gun and then the, maybe they could have because they hadn't cleaned it for a while so now would be a good time for that
1: yeah you know this is a good time especially after this last weekend wind was blowing we had snow drifting in the blinds and uh, everything got wet and uh, you know, now's a good time to get those guns uh, taken apart, get them cleaned out, get them relubricated lubricated and uh, make sure that they're dried up so that uh, you don't have rust and uh, end up with a problem in next season. So
3: one of the things my grandpa always preached was anytime you shoot your gun, you should clean your gun. But I would say with the way the, you know the materials are made these days and, and the cleaning solutions that that may be a stretch now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I uh, I clean my gun once once, and if I start having problems with it, you know, I mean, there's no sense uh, br- to fix something that's not broken. But um, yeah, a lot of times, you know, to kind of depending on how you're using it, you know, and and what kind of shotgun shells you're using, and uh, some shotgun shells are dirtier than others, and you get a little bit of blowback from some of that powder discharge. But you know, if you're a guy like myself and you're laying in uh, fields and you got uh, blowing dirt and blowing corn stalks right. and that kind of stuff that are jamming up your actions, I mean, you might have to clean them a little more frequently.
3: So, and we had talked a little bit, and, and I know Jesse and I had a conversation. I have a gun that, you know, it wasn't ejecting. The shells and and it wasn't you know pulling back and you had mentioned that part of that issue could have been maybe the the weight of the the bullet or the grain in that bullet and there are many different things that could contribute to an issue
1: yeah, especially on semi-automatic rifles and shotguns. You know, a lot of times, uh, especially on the shotguns, these most of the shotguns are, that we're seeing anymore are being made over in Turkey. Uh, they're uh, they're uh, being shipped with a, a heavy like Cosmoline, and you know, a lot of guys just you know want to grab their shotgun, go out to the, the trap range, and start you know blasting away, um, and then they experience some problems with cycling issues. But um, if a guy actually takes a takes their gun home. Uh, cleans up, uh, cleans out that cosmoline, that heavy shipping grease that's in there, and then just goes back and puts a light coating of uh, oil on it. Uh, A lot of times, you know, those guns never see a problem with cycling, but generally, you know, only an issue on the, on the uh, semi-automatics, you know, pump shotguns and break action uh, shotguns. uh, Generally, you don't see those issues, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's good to, you know, learn how to, you know, tear apart your guns and how to clean them properly. And, and uh, I, I always feel that, uh, The lighter the lubricant, the better, um, you know, for for those guns because they – yeah, don't have to worry about like especially cold cold conditions some of that uh, oil that you use will actually uh harden up kind of or just kind of slow things down and and if you think of like a grease you know as a bacon grease you know as it, oh, yeah. as it cools down it, it hardens up and sometimes there's certain uh lubricants out there that do the same thing in shotguns and rifles
3: and of course in, in you guys have a whole section of nothing but cleaning supplies and, and utensils so coming in and, and making sure you have the right items for the guns that you're, you're shooting and maybe you're looking for a new gun altogether.
1: Yeah, I mean we're um, you know we're just getting out of these uh, shows that we had here in the in the springtime, and uh, boy things things are shipping really well this year. Uh, different than the last three years for sure. Uh, items like those uh, Smith and Wesson revolvers that have been hard to get, uh, we've got a huge selection of those right now, and then just some of the uh, you know seventy fifth anniversary Rugers that have been out that were announced. Uh, we're seeing some of the uh, Shot Show guns coming through already. Uh, a lot of the new Ruger Gen Twos, uh, we're starting to see some of those calibers come through. So yeah, if you've uh, you know if you're one of those guys that's been kind of watching the Shot Show and some of those newer guns, um, you know, come on in and, and talk to us. Uh, if we don't have them in yet, I'm sure they're on order, and we'll certainly put your name. And uh, we kind of keep a list of those hard to find guns, uh, the Marlins that have been really difficult to get. We um, got a good shipment of those in this last week, those 1895s and uh, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, come on in. Talk to the guys at the gun counter. Give us your name. If we don't have it in, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hunt it down. We've got a lot of different resources that we use to uh, get those guns, a lot of different distributors, um, and we're direct with almost every manufacturer out there. So,
3: so really, if someone goes online and they find this gun somewhere online and, and they're like, oh, I'm going to get it, well, they're going to have to have it shipped to the store anyway and have it all transferred over right. and so they might as well come in and, and just work directly with you guys and you can help them right along
1: yeah i mean it's it's sure nice to be able to support your local businesses first i mean yeah. i know sometimes it's you know really convenient just because you see a gun online and you're like yep that's the one i want and i just order it but um you know don't be afraid to give us a call and um have us you know do a little read digging around and research you know Uh, Hopefully we can meet or beat the the price you're going to find online. And for sure, if if we order the gun for you, we're going to save you that $35 transfer fee.
3: Yeah, so it really does pay to come in and check them out here at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. And, you know, maybe you had a, a slow waterfowl season like a, a lot of people did, and some guys went out and didn't see anything for a, a whole hunting trip, but you still want to shoot. Shooting clays is a great way to, to keep you in the, the, the muscle memory and, and keep you into the trend.
1: Yeah, and, you know, we um, we we do sell the memberships up to Stuckanoff. So, you know, guys that want to go up there and um, sight in their rifles or plink around, they also have a, an area up there that you can take a box of clay targets up there, and they've got throwers, so you can go up there and spend an afternoon. Really, it's a great way to support uh, another local organization and um, – the 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 money that they, they bring in you know really just pays for upgrades into the the, the uh, functions up there, and then there's also the uh, tr- the Casper Skeet and Trap Club, um, also Rocky Mountain Range out gun range out there off of Coal Creek. There's lots of places to go uh, shoot a shotgun and uh, you know go on a, a one of their Friday night meet shoots. You know uh, all that kind of stuff is fun and it's pretty inexpensive to do and um, you know gets it gets you outside and you know it covers a time before the fishing season really kicks in
3: yeah right and you know i was just talking to lindsey with hd outdoor and though you know clays for the brave is coming up this yep. summer and mm-hmm. so you might as well go out and get yourself in the the rhythm and get yourself feeling good on the, the course
1: well yeah you know a lot of times we um don't get a whole lot of shots when we're big game hunting right you know you and uh if you had any problems doing that, you know, now's a good time to get into the indoor range or get up to stucking on so one of these nice days that we're having. I mean, 50-degree weather and a day off, you know, it's a, it's a great way to spend an afternoon uh, sighting in a gun or just, you know, in- increasing your proficiency and your accuracy. So.
3: And uh, on a side note, if you're going to get out and maybe take the side-by-side or the, the quad out, you got to make sure you have that ORV because it's been stuck yeah. away all winter long and If you're going to get out in this night weather, you got to get that.
1: Yeah, and the state parks uh, changed their system again this year. So uh, you know, if you thought you were really uh, versatile on uh, on their old site, uh, it's changed again. So you're going to have to create a new user profile, and um, that's going to be important for reservations when you start going to any of these state parks: Glendo, Boys, and Keyhole, uh, Seminole Reservoir. Um, You got to make sure that uh, you've got you can be that you're activated, so you can put in your reservations. And I think. Uh, 120 days out so we're getting real close to those summertime uh, reservations
3: so obviously it seems a little confusing but if you come in they can walk you right through it and get you all taken care of right here rocky mountain discount sports
0: it's wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors
3: Thanks for sticking around here on Wyoming <laughs> Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Uh, if you have missed any of our shows, you can go check them out uh, on demand right inside our radio station's app. Anything for the last, wow, it's almost, are we going on three years already? Close to,
1: close to three already, yeah. That's
3: absolutely insane that it's it's been that long. And, you know, you and I have done some fishing over the last three years. To This summer, I think that it's going to be a great year for, for fishing, whether or not it's you know, on Glendale or, or where it's going to be.
1: Yeah, I think me and you need to get in a drift boat and uh, probably uh, take advantage of some of this uh, good early spring fishing as well.
3: And, you know, you, we were just looking at some of the, the ice on the, uh, the lakes and the reservoirs, and it's starting to look a little choppy on some of these places. So those drift boats could be looking really good to people.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm talking to a couple of the guys at uh, uh, Blake down at the Ugly Bug Fly Shop. You know, there's there's certain parts of uh, Wyoming, especially like over in Thermopolis, where the uh, the spawn is already in full swing. You know, they're 20, 30% through the spawning. Wow. Um, and through the uh, plat system up here, uh, you know, the guys are already seeing fish on the reds and they tend to kind of drag out the, the spawn a little bit longer probably through these areas. But, um, yeah, the fishing right now, I mean, if you can get pick the right day, uh, right conditions, uh, now's a good time to book a trip with one of the local fly shops and uh, get on the river and, and experience it because the fishing is fantastic right now.
3: What are, what are some of the like the thought processes when you're trying to look for a good day? What's the best thing to look for?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, when you're in a drift boat and you're running a fly rod, I mean, the the less wind the poss- is possible is, is the best, you know. And um, obviously, you know, this last week with 50 degree weather, you know, there there was a handful of days in there that would have been great, you know. Um, there's going to be some days that you don't want to be out there. I mean, the mm. you know, guys are still rowing drift boats and they're rowing up and through uh, this, you know, a lot of the same holes multiple times in certain runs. So, um, yeah, look, you know, it's kind of hard to predict, but you know, if you've got you know, beginning of the week and you got a day off Wednesday or Thursday and you're looking at it going, man, Thursday is supposed to be 50 degrees and low wind. I mean, I would definitely get on the phone and see if I can find a a trip to book. Yeah, definitely
3: nice weather makes it, uh, gives you that itch that you've been waiting for all winter. It's been kind of a, a weird, odd winter, but guys that maybe start fishing on the ice in December and stay on the ice until March, I mean, they're probably really jonesing for a good outing.
1: Yeah, you know, the ice conditions are still pretty sketchy in certain areas. I mean, there's still plenty of decent ice in certain areas, but um, yeah, I mean, there's uh, Alcove Reservoir was was pretty wide open this last week. Uh, I think Gray Rocks is getting really close if it's not open now, and Glenda will be behind it probably here in a couple, three weeks, so. Yeah, we were
3: down in Saratoga last weekend, and you know there was lots of good good ice there in, in Saratoga, but places like Boison where there's okay ice but then there's some sections that are a little rough so it it does get a little spooky to get out and you know mess around on the ice a little bit
1: yeah I'm trying to be as patient as I can before I drag that boat out you know I mean especially uh, condition wise and uh, you want to have a nice day where you can get that boat out and really make sure everything is operating properly you know you don't want to be stuck out there in bad conditions and have the wind push you up against a bunch of rocks and ruin a day or get trapped with a big block of ice that might you know prevent you from getting back to to the boat ramp so so and I, we talked a little bit
3: last week if you're really 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 jonesing but you don't want to risk it now would be a good time to maybe go through your boat you know and maybe upgrade and again you know, look for some new electronics and And uh, all your equipment.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, pretty much every season it seems like I have one battery go bad on my boat, you know. And, uh, you know, they last three or four years anymore. And uh, making sure that you can get a good charge on them and that they're going to hold. If you haven't had your boat plugged in over the winter, uh, it's going to be a good opportunity to get your batteries, you know, take them in, get them checked for a load test on them. Um, I've been using batteries plus bulbs here in Casper up there in the Triangle Plaza across from Home Depot. Uh, they've been super knowledgeable the batteries that uh, I've been getting from them have been really good they've been lasting lasting a long time so another local business that you know good to support and uh, uh, keep make sure that you're prepped for the season and I know
3: we uh, we talked a little bit about the Wyoming walleye stampede where you guys are really looking good and where you have four different rounds and where are you going to be at this year
1: Yes, we have three regular season uh, events. Two of them are going to be at Glendo. The third one will be at Boysen. And then our championship for our top 60 teams uh, will be held at uh, Pathfinder Reservoir. So last year it was
3: Semino and then Boysen for the championship. So Correct. this year, Boysen and Pathfinder.
1: Actually, I think we were at Seminole. I think we skipped Pathfinder last year completely because yeah. we were – a little concerned about water levels down there and then they did a bunch of uh, construction up there on the to put the new the new ramp in up at uh, Pathfinder so it worked out really good but uh, yeah we did our third event at Seminole and our championship at Boysen so
3: yeah so so this year looking pretty good and applications are available and you've already got quite a few boats in for the the May
1: yeah, there's uh, 60 boats uh, already turned in for the first two events, and uh, we are capping the second event at Glendo to 140 boats. So, um, you know, if that's a uh, that we're that's our Gov Cup, um, kind of rebranding that, uh, some higher payouts, some cool trophies, uh, rings for the winners, uh, jackets for the winners. Um, we're doing a kids' event on Friday, so they're going to be able to go fish with a pro or, or one of the yeah. one of the tournament anglers, um, and we're going to work with uh, Boys and Girls Club and then a, a group of kids out of the Glendo area. So that's going to be a really neat and rewarding event. We've done that numerous times, and it's always, it's always awesome to see those kids, you know, catching fish. Yeah. And that usually is a really good event for catching fish. You can catch them just about any way you want, so um yeah We that if you're gonna want to get in on that one you definitely want to get entries in on that as soon as possible so
3: there are four events the fourth being the championship do you have to fish every one or can you kind of you know if you can't make two of them or no
1: you can just you can just pick you know which you can pick one event or two events and if if you want to fish the championship you do have to fish all three events so that is it is a qualifier right um we we actually seed that uh tournament uh, skeeter boats sponsors that so we have five thousand dollars from skeeter that goes into that event and then usually about another seven thousand dollars just from entries throughout the season that goes towards that so we have a 60 boat field uh, at capped at 60 Um if, if we don't have 60 boats to fish all three it might only be a 40 boat but they're going to be competing for a whole bunch of money
3: yeah going to be a good time this year for fishing uh, whether it's the stampede or whether it's uh you know jay's Uh, weekly event the the, walleye league at um, pathfinder yeah Yeah. and you know and even opportunities with the walleye club to to get involved there so there's just a lot of great things you can start planning to get in on
1: yeah i mean uh obviously we we, we've got it pretty good here and i think you know a lot of times we complain about you know certain things about our game and fish but in terms of walleye populations on our reservoirs and around us i mean we've got it Pretty dang good pound for pound. Like our our uh, our fisheries uh, hold up to some of the big bodies of water like Devil's Lake and Lake Oahu and Sakakawea. Saka- um, Excuse know, you. Yeah, I know it's that was one, a tough one to <laughs> tough one to say, but um, <laughs> yeah, we've we've got some great fishing here. And uh, if you haven't been to Pathfinder or boysen or Keyhole or Seminole, you know it's it's definitely worth making the trip and, and uh, planning a weekend.
3: All right. Well, if you uh, need to get stuff together for that weekend, come on in and check them out right here at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports.
0: Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question, want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors.